0: Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Lives podcast, the show that explores life purpose by taking you on a journey into different people's unique and somewhat squiggly worlds.
1: We're your hosts, Helena and
0: Claire. This week, we talk to nutritional therapist Lucas Onzogny. We talk about how to make big life decisions and discuss his own life choices, including the planned yet intuitive steps that he made to create the life he is living today. We discuss nutrition and fasting in great detail and discuss life choices that may hinder or support our well-being. Luca talks about societal and childhood conditioning and habitual responses towards our eating and daily habits. And we dissect these topics, discussing the roots of them and how to break harmful or destructive patterns. This episode is full of useful tips to improve your health it is inspirational to hear just how much purpose and meaning Luca gets from having created a life that he loves. It is also fascinating to hear how we may find greater meaning and self-understanding through focusing on all aspects of our well-being. Welcome Luca, thanks for coming on.
2: Hi, hi, my pleasure.
0: So we'll dive straight in and we thought we'd first of all talk about your transition from your life five six seven years ago because we know it was quite a different lifestyle from what you're living now um and how you got to where you're living now and that's that journey that you went on
2: sure um i was leading a more conventional lifestyle so i was living in london and working in uh, fintech i was selling software and data to investment banks and um I was in London in total for about 15 years. And uh, at the end of uh, this period in London, my lifestyle was really not matching my requirements or needs uh, in terms of um, uh, making me feel uh, grounded, uh, connected with myself and the world. I would uh, seldom experience states of flow and uh, also the lifestyle was very taxing for my body for my physical body not just um, emotional and psychological so i would uh, uh, you know spend uh, two weeks out of uh, four every month traveling between uh, um, geneva lugano in switzerland and milan and i would work like a good 10 hours a day pretty much every day And um, you know, it was just very. It was a very hard life for me. In theory, you know, I was uh, ticking all the boxes in terms of having a a good salary, very good salary, being employed in a large corporate. I was living with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, you know, everybody thought I was a kind of a successful guy, kind of mainstream, uh, successful. But you know, I was uh, doing okay, so to speak. But I didn't feel that way. And I kept on pushing myself to the limit in terms of uh, uh, emotional and psychological health and also physical up until uh, uh, a day when uh, I went through a very strange experience. So I was in the office and I was uh, under a lot of pressure at the time, uh, so I had lots of uh, work-related stress and I was in the office when I had a panic attack. So I, I almost uh, felt I was going uh, to die. I couldn't you know, get enough hair into my lungs. And uh, I had uh, the symptoms of a heart attack. Uh, so I left the office that day. I fell in the streets in London on my way to uh, Moorgate Underground Station. And I fell on the underground as well, like on the train itself. So paramedics uh, helped me into a medical room in uh, in King's Cross Station, and they performed an electrocardiogram just to see if I was having a heart attack. And uh, I didn't, I wasn't actually having a heart attack. It was just my nerves. And since then I realized that, uh, you know, I had to do something. So I was kind of lucky in a way because uh, that was a moment of awakening for me, a moment when I looked at my life uh, with a very sort of, you know, detached and, you know, with a, from a broader perspective, and I realized that uh, I had to do something different. I really had to change my life. And um, so just a few weeks later, I left my job and I started traveling. I was in a lot of pain at the time. Um, and I went to Brazil and then I came back to London and uh, I still couldn't really bring myself to find another job and continue in a standard lifestyle So I ended up uh, in uh, India and uh, in Nepal and then back into India. And I found yoga. Yoga was really something that really saved me in a way because uh, after two or three months of not sleeping very well, having lots of uh, very negative emotions and being almost suicidal. I was able to find respite and even joy and bliss through practicing yoga. And uh, and I ended up in Thailand, here in Copangan where I live now on, um, on a journey to better health. And I signed up to a course here for a month and I did yoga every day for a month. I lost quite a bit of weight. And then I went back to London. And I decided to retrain as a nutritionist and then to move to Thailand permanently. So that was my transformation in a nutshell.
0: Wow, did when you, um, after you had the health scare, did you ever go back to your corporate job um, working in the city or was that you made the decision just after you came out of hospital and said that's it?
2: I've always been a, a thoughtful person and somebody that likes to plan. So I decided to go back indeed uh, to London, and I got a nine-to-five kind of job. Yeah. So before I was working for a large corporate, called Bloomberg, a financial technology company, a uh, very smart, in the way that uh, you know you need to continuously train yourself. I was working, uh, uh, you know, an account management job with um, an Italian bank, and you uh, know, very complex job, complex environment. And I decided that I couldn't do that anymore. So I just got myself a kind of a cozy nine to five. I was uh, working for uh, a small company with uh, you know, just, they would pay my salary, I was very happy. I would work very little, to be honest. I would work possibly a couple of hours a day. And I had like five hours left to study for my nutrition course. So for two and a half years, I retrained as a nutritional therapist in, a, in the College of Naturopathic Medicine, CNM. And uh, and I said, you know, I'm going to move to Thailand, but I'm going to do it with a qualification and uh, already with a plan or a strong intention to become a health practitioner. So that's what I did.
1: That's incredible. Um, really inspirational as well. Um we were, Heli and I were chatting earlier how, you know, so many people are in that, almost limbo period of being in a place, but really wanting to be somewhere else, but you've actually gone, gone there and, and done it, and made it happen. And so you mentioned having a plan. So you went and you got qualified as a nutritionist and you had a strong intention. What advice could you give to other people that are perhaps in a similar place? Um, like what was going on internally like how did you how are you able to actually make this happen? And you're still making it happen, you're you're living, you're living that intention that you had.
2: Yes. Um, my advice is uh, to learn about yourself. It's a big a conversation we could have about free will, you know, if you believe that the free will is a thing or if free will doesn't exist. But even if you believe that free will exists, uh, we also start from a position of conditioning in life. Conditioning is possibly a negative term, so we could say we start with a cultural background of sorts. Okay, so we are brought up in a country with certain values, uh, certain structures, and we are educated in a certain way. And most people are educated to get a job. And, you know, settle down, get a house with a mortgage, you know, like 1.5 kids and uh, live life that way. I'm simplifying it very much, obviously. but What I'm trying to say is that uh, some people do very well in a conventional structure of the 9 to 5 and the holidays once a year. Many people don't do so well and uh, although this suits society because of course society needs products and services and needs many workers that produce them uh, very often this um, this costs the individual quite a bit because um, very often you have uh, to work in a corporate environment or any kind of job that maybe you don't fully like where uh, you are selling uh, Uh, not just your time and your effort but also a piece of your soul uh, to receive in exchange um, money obviously so that you can pay your bills and buy your consumer goods but also you receive uh, some form of meaning from the job that you're doing indeed and some form of status in society too okay so there is a bit of an exchange going on there The problem is that uh, very often in this kind of corporate jobs, and particularly in the past 15 years, I say, uh, certainly since 2008, corporations have become harder places to work in. Job security has gone down, KPIs and demands have gone up. Uh, Competition has been very brutal, particularly if uh, you uh, you don't have a unique kind of skill, or you're not very senior in the the company already. What I suggest to people, if you feel that you are probably the 70% that doesn't do so well in this kind of environment, learn about yourself, which means learn what really turns you on in life. Develop a hobby or two. Read, talk to people, travel, experience as much as you can outside of the 9 to 5 standard life. And you might be so lucky that uh, you find a passion that is so compelling and so exciting that you might just drop this kind of mediocre, in my opinion, or standard life for something that is a bit of a dream that might involve some challenges, obviously, but challenges are not necessarily bad, but also that also, you know, make your soul shine again, that, you know, make you feel you're living a full life or a fuller life at least.
0: And then what about those people who maybe they eventually find it, maybe they know already, but they have the practical side of things or the fear side of things in them. And they're, they're wondering whether if they give up their comfortable um, life um, in the job that pays quite well to take that leap of faith into something that's a little bit more scary, but um, probably worth doing. But they have the practicalities to keep in mind or a family or they're worried it won't work. And then they're giving up this sort of financial security for something that's um, as well as scary and maybe a bit of a risk to do. Um, but what advice would you give them to, in order to listen to their intuition? or, um, yeah,
2: do you have any advice for them? So you you mentioned a very interesting word, which is comfortable, you know? If you're comfortable in your life, uh, I see life as a little bit of a surfing experience, you know, you take a wave and you ride it for as long as you can. When I left my job and my life, I wasn't comfortable anymore. So if you're feeling comfortable, so that most of the times you're feeling grounded, happy and content with what you've got, I'll say just stick to it, you know? But if, you, if you're if feeling that you're not comfortable anymore, you're feeling that it's Friday afternoon, and uh, you, know, you go to the pub and drink in excess, and then some more, and you do it regularly, and not in a cele- celebratory way, but in a numbing way, in a forgetting way, yeah? then uh, there's something wrong there. And uh, the longer you keep it up, and the older you get, and uh, you'll uh, realize very soon that soldiering on in a life that is not fulfilling, not even partially fulfilling, then is not gonna be an option for you because uh, you're gonna start putting on weight, you're gonna start having ailments, maybe your digestion is gonna be gone, you know. Like uh, a large minority of the population in large in big cities particularly suffers of irritable bowel syndrome, which means that you know it's not fun digesting for them, right? and uh, if you have all these kind of signs and symptoms of a lifestyle that is becoming hard before you give up on yourself because one of the philosophies that is uh, the most scary and is very prevalent is the philosophy of nihilism okay so nihilism is the philosophy of darkness black holes nothingness meaningless So some people, including myself, uh, back in the days, you reach a point in life where you think there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pain, and instead of uh, looking up and trying to improve yourself, better yourself, and uh, create an environment which is more conducive for positive emotions, harmony, and thriving, you just decide to give up on life a little bit and when i say give up on life it means that you stop take, taking care of yourself so you're uh, you know you're going through a period of stress you start drinking too much and once the stress is kind of over you keep on drinking too much you know or uh, you you go through a period of uh, difficulty in life and of course you want to self-medicate a little bit you start eating uh, ice cream every night but then You keep on the ice cream, and uh, you know you're putting on pounds over pounds over pounds, and you know six months or a year later you find yourself in a state of obesity. And what you're gonna do then? You don't take care of yourself anymore. You just let yourself go. And consciously, you don't do that consciously. It's a subconscious thing. You know, it's like remember that I talked about free will earlier. You know, if even if you believe there is free will, you are a free agent and make your own decisions in life. Still, a lot of the decisions you're making are highly conditioned, conditioned by the peer group you're in, conditioned by your um, growing up environment, by your cultural standards, etc. And in culture, it's kind of okay, you know, to drink too much regularly. It's kind of okay to eat junk food regularly, but it's not really, you know what I mean? So you're not gonna find so much support in culture when you're trying to improve your diet. Because, uh, you know, maybe some family members are also eating not so well, and they don't understand why you wanna go organic and whole food. Or you're gonna, you know, you, if, if, you're, if you're trying to stop alcohol consumption, so I was lucky because I was never really drinking during the week so much, only when I, I, it was really bad. yeah. But every Friday and Saturday night, I was religiously drunk, literally. Every Saturday night, I would do it as a practice, Friday and Saturday. And when I tried to stop alcohol, my colleagues and friends would be totally against me, say, come on, Luca, have a, have a beer, don't be so boring. you know. Because you have all these uh, ingrained behaviors, and, uh, you know, the relationship I had with some of my friends was based on us getting drunk together on a Friday night. If I decide to come out of this cultural structure, this conditioning, and to be a free agent is very difficult, it's very hard, okay? So that's 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 what we, we, we have to put up with a lot is that this conditioning and the conditioning is there very often not for our individual benefit but for a bigger structure that serves certain interests in society and not necessarily the little person, the little individual. So learning about yourself and trying to remove this. Uh, real this maya you know in indian philosophy they call it maya you know this illusion is very very difficult and uh but you gotta try it you know you gotta do it and maybe you're listening to a podcast and you get a little bit of inspiration and you start reading a book or maybe you join a group of sort or you start doing yoga or you take a holiday you go to a new place or not, not everybody can do it indeed because it's a lot harder to change life radically the way i did it if you are uh, a father or a mother for instance i'm not saying you cannot do it you can still do it but it's hard or if uh, you know you have uh, financial constraints i was lucky because i worked in london for 15 years and i always been a little bit of a minimalist even in london so i saved and invested money so i started you know with a good um, sort of financial base they allow me to, you know, live uh, freely for uh, just over a decade, I suppose. You know, and now I've been in uh, this new lifestyle for five years, and I'm earning money, and I have, uh, you know, I'm I'm building a long-term uh, business, which is a retreat center in Copangana. I opened two years ago, and I had to close because of COVID. And I'm gonna reopen it next year, and that was was very successful. I operated it for four months, and uh, you know I tested the business model; it was working very well. And now I have online courses and programs I run, and these ones are picking up as well. So of course, it's not this kind of money I was making, you know, working in financial technology. But once the plan is fully developed. I can possibly make more money than before even, you know, but yes, it's true. You need, uh, it's good to have a little bit of financial, um, you know, security, and also to be in a condition to make this decision, uh, from a position of strength as much as possible, you know, so taking care of some of the practicalities too, you know, I split up with my ex after uh, six and a half years. And that was very sad. So every time you make big decisions in life, you know, you have uh, some drawbacks and some, you know, side effects that you have to deal with. But then, for me, I had no option because I'm pretty sure if I stick to the same lifestyle, I'll be, I'll be very sick now. I'll be very unhappy. And I probably have like a chronic condition of sort. I knew this was coming, so I had to do it, you know.
1: And now's really a good time. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your retreat business and the programs that you offer?
2: Sure. So I, what one of the best things I could do once I left the corporate world is to apply a lot more creativity to whatever I do. Yeah? So I came up with a brand, which is the Smiley brand, and I set up the Smiley retreat in January 2020. Uh, after working part time for 2 years in two retreat centers in Koh Samo here in Thailand so i was a detox manager 3 days a week i was running fasting programs and uh, i took the job 100% to learn uh, how to run fasting programs and how to learn a rich, uh, how to run a retreat center so the first year i worked for a very established retreat center and the second year for a like, you know, I wouldn't say a startup, but almost with a, a very interesting business model for me. And I seek to do these work experiences because my idea was indeed to create my own space, which is a dream that I developed, you know, like a few years back, okay. So I was able to open the Smiley Retreat in Copenhagen as a residential retreat place for fasting, intermittent fasting, whole food nutrition, but also yoga, holistic therapies, alternative therapies, relaxation, connection, unwinding, and a beautiful holiday in nature, okay? So people come and people that uh, maybe they want to have a healthy holiday up to people that also are quite sick. Uh, So it could be just a lifestyle choice for you to come and relax and just take care of yourself, do yoga in the morning and connect with others. Or you might actually be going through quite a bit in life could be either, and anything in between, and uh, you know you come for uh, typically at least one week, ideally a couple of weeks, and you know you're, you're welcome there. We take care of you. We have different kind of therapists that uh, uh, you know cover different disciplines in life, and it's a beautiful place to be. And uh, since COVID happened, I shifted online, and uh, my online practice is called SmileyNutrition.com. And I run intermittent fasting programs online every month, one-to-ones, and I do nutrition. So anybody that wants to lose weight, wants to learn how to feed themselves properly, want to put like better healthy habits in place, I help them do that.
0: So you mentioned all the negative effects, all the effects that negative emotions and stress can have on the body itself. Um, So I'd like to know a little bit more about that I suppose and how people who are living in a certain lifestyle and don't necessarily mentally register that or emotionally register that they maybe want to change something but how they can tap into the body and realize maybe that's not quite right so we need to change something so yeah if you could say a little bit more more about that and then uh, I was just wondering that You don't have to make such a big decision to say, like, right, we need to, you know, quit my job, uphold and do something radically different. But you can make these little changes like you're talking about, like intermittent fasting or something with your diet or go to a yoga class. So there's little things you can do within your lifestyle that you can um, implement to improve your overall well-being as well. And it sounds like your programs um, cater to that.
2: Indeed. So if you are in a position of comfort uh, let's say 70 percent of the times my advice is uh, to stick to what you're doing and possibly create a space for you uh, for more well-being and a space is not necessarily a physical space can be an emotional and psychological space but i certainly do um, uh, you know recommend people to look at some form of embodiment practice, you know? So you said many people are in their mind. So I go as far as saying that some people are hijacked by the lifestyle of modern living um, because uh, cortisol, which is the stress, the chief stress hormone, is a very powerful hormone. And uh, so there are two types of stress. One is called uh, uh, acute stress and in most of most of the times acute stress is very healthy okay of course if you are having a car crash that's acute stress is not healthy but typically acute stress manifests itself in public speaking or doing something competitive in a playful way or you know coming up with a new project and presenting it in front of people any kind of new threat to the ego is uh, brings the cortisol up a little bit. The beauty of it is that uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, measured uh, in a a number of days or maximum weeks. So you put in the effort, you do this project, you deliver the project. If the project works very well, you're very happy and you even have like a, a moment of total connection and bliss uh what we call a a peak experience you know if you're in front of people and everybody you know claps and supports you that would be lovely even if it doesn't work if uh, you know you put intention into it it was a, a a learning experience you still you know bounce back pretty quickly and as health individuals we need some form of acute stress on a regular basis that could be going hiking you know or pushing yourself a little bit on a sport kind of adventure or it could be starting a new job or going out on a date you know these are different ways of, uh, of having a key stress. The real problem for most people is what we call chronic stress chronic stress is not limited to a project an event or something limited in time it is accumulated over the months and even the years and when people are under the burden of chronic stress they cannot you know think straight anymore almost because they're hijacked by this cortisol hormone so they are always on a fight-or-flight response so that if, uh, if it's a work environment, because of course that's where I experience it the most, and you're you know, typing at your laptop and your boss just uh, shows up behind you, your stress hormones are high immediately, you know, in the morning, Monday morning, you have to call a client you don't particularly like, and your hormones, uh, cortisol is high all the time. And then you get to the Friday, and the only way you can sleep is to get completely, you know, drunk, and uh, you know, to go from a, a, a acute phase of, of being, uh, yeah, inebriated, to then having the hangover the following day, and the hangover sometimes is also a welcome, uh, um, you know, numbing of the senses because under, uh, you know, the hangover state. You feel everything is reduced, everything is calmed down. You have a little bit of a physical pain, which helps the emotional and psychological pain. You know, so very often when people are emotional and psychologically hurt, they tend to translate it into the body. A, a typical example is a chronic back pain. You know, there is a, a huge somatic uh, uh, component of back pain. So what I'm saying is that if you are in this kind of state of chronic stress you know, um, then you, you really need to do something about it. If you're not, and you're still kind of in states of law well enough, etc., you still, I, in my opinion, need to have a relaxation strategy in place. You need to take care of your physical body with physical activity. And in an ideal scenario, you would like to have some sort of active relaxation or meditation in, pra- in place as well, because you need to actively put the body and the mind through a period of rest and uh, recuperation is extremely important. And uh, being more in the body means you're going to be more detached from the problems of life, you're going to experience more positive emotions, and you're going to be more resilient to stress in general. But you know, that that, that can I mean, these practices are lovely embodiment practices yeah physical activity anything to do with the body dance i dance a lot myself i love dancing you know we do ecstatic dance here we do contact dance with all different types of dances but also being physical with your partner for instance you know that's very nice hugs etc these are all things that bring uh, calm the mind and bring the energy into the body and uh, I think people should really be taught at school how to do that. But again, I don't think culture or the conditioning supports such things. Certainly not in the mainstream.
1: You mentioned um, intermittent fasting before. I don't really know much about that, but I would be really interested to hear a little bit more about What it is and what the benefits are, and how someone might go about starting to fast. Like, where do you start?
2: Okay, so I start from uh, the fact that uh, most people eat too much. Okay, so again, um, food is such a primary source of pleasure and uh, of comfort. That if you are going through a period of stress, for instance, it's very easy to overeat and eat very rich foods. And when you try to cut back on uh, consumption of food, particularly when the food is not very clean, so it's a, a processed, ultra processed, then the body is going to work against you because these foods trigger a hormonal response. And hormones, once they're triggered on a regular basis, tend to start following a pattern. Okay, so they upregulate or downregulate depending on the environment. Okay, so a typical hormone that, alongside cortisol, is very important is insulin. When people eat uh, uh, food, uh, particularly you know processed carbohydrates, sugary treats, and stuff like that too much and too often, they spike the insulin response. Insulin is a hormone that helps cells uptake glucose or sugar, okay? So over time, you're gonna build insulin resistance, which means that the body is gonna be less effective at metabolizing the sugars and the carbohydrates and the junk food and the alcohol, etc. And once you have insulin resistance, to revert that is very challenging. So if you go on a standard diet where they make you eat three times a day, smaller portions, you're going to be starving. And it's going to be very, very challenging for the body to fix the problem. Also, uh, many sort of uh, uh, calorie restrictive diets uh, in a standard way they, you know, over time, they work on the metabolism and they slow down the metabolism, which means you're eating and you're burning less and storing more. So a solution to all that is instead of just cutting back on calories, focusing on having periods of time during the day where you don't eat anything at all, just to allow the insulin response to calm down because you're not spiking all the time with your snacks and food, and also to reduce blood sugar levels, okay? So this way you can build insulin sensitivity and restore some of the health that you lost. Not just that, but you're gonna lose weight, obviously, because the body is going to start using and supplementing um, glucose with fat. First, the fat that is in the bloodstream and then your own adipose uh, cells. And one of the great benefits of intermittent fasting is that uh, indeed, during this period of not eating, you're also calming the response of two key hormones that regulate appetite, which are called ghrelin and leptin. So if you see If you think of hormones, you think of uh, the way you feel. So the way you feel your state of consciousness from a physiological perspective is a cocktail of hormones and neurotransmitters. When you are highly addicted or when your system is hijacked by addictive behaviors not just food but you know dopaminic uh, you know uh, entertainment on the internet like stuff like pornography like uh, uh, junk news uh, you know where they worry all the time yeah so all these things have an impact on your hormones and the longer you keep it up the more you know you're gonna have a form a new pathway uh, related to those behaviors okay it's called a, brain plasticity so to revert that is very challenging it's very hard but one of the most effective methodologies i found is intermittent fasting so you suffer a little bit at the beginning you eat nothing at all and very often it's easier to eat nothing at all so to skip a meal than to reduce the amount of food in a meal And then, little by little, you start building insulin resistance, and then you can have maybe a more thorough way of doing intermittent fasting. Or if you're ready, you can do a very high-impact way of intermittent fasting, which is called OMAD, one meal a day, which is the one I'm teaching. So this feels like a full detox, because you eat a huge meal once a day. When you eat the meal, you love what you're eating because it's a very complete, large meal, and the first couple of days, I want you to feast on it, literally, because you're cutting back on all the junk, all the alcohol, all the, you know, processed food. You're eating a huge meal of a whole food only, which is my own methodology. It's called the smiley meal. And, uh, you know, by doing that, you stay 23 hours with no eating at all. You can drink lots of water, obviously. You can even have a, a black coffee if you want. And that's going to build so much insulin sensitivity. It's going to calm down the response of the hormones. It's going to be a reset of sort. It's going to feel like a detox. So people get like clearer skins. They go to the toilet more. Uh, you know, they feel remarkably different. They have more energy during the day when they're not eating So it's a a, a very thorough detox. And then on the back of it, I teach you how to incorporate intermittent fasting in your daily or weekly routine so that whenever you feel you're eating too much, or you're going through a period where you're eating not well, then you can catch up immediately, you know, and you can sort of, you know, get yourself back on track. And uh, the double whammy is that you learn intermittent fasting, but also you learn whole food nutrition so i teach you how to source prepare balance whole food meals which is a skill for life it's a beautiful thing and uh, you know it's really a gift i think
0: and how many hours if you're just starting off on it how many hours would you recommend um to start with or would you recommend doing the 23 hours to begin with or a shorter period
2: it depends on you. Uh, you know, some people they want to go a little bit more slowly, so the sixteen-eight is quite an easy way. So you can either skip breakfast or you skip dinner okay and that's already an achievement for some people breakfast is a little bit more controversial so depending on your body type there are some considerations that you have to take and uh, the same is with dinner you know some people prefer skipping breakfast and they do very well with it some people prefer skipping dinner um the healthiest version if your body type allows it and it's not too difficult for you is to skip dinner and do like the Buddhists do you know so you eat (laughs) breakfast you eat lunch maximum at 2pm. And then you eat nothing at all after that. So that's a 16.8. Okay, the other version uh, that uh, is a little bit more thorough is you eat two meals uh, with a four hours um, within a four hours window It's called the warrior diet. Yeah. So you stay 20 hours with fasting, and then you eat two small meals. Uh, one meal a day is the uh, most, uh, you know, interesting uh, uh, type of intermittent fasting Uh, you need to do it according to certain guidelines though because some people they do it on their own and then they uh, they eat too quickly for instance or most likely they don't balance the nutrition so they either don't eat some foods and they don't take some nutrition they need or uh, you know they just go junk food and, and unbalanced and that's very very bad so if you feel you had enough and you feel you got a little bit of time maybe over the next week uh, where you can slow down with with life a little bit yeah so either you can work from home or you don't have so much on or maybe your husband and kids are gone on holiday on their own and then you have like the time for yourself i really recommend the one meal a day if it's more that uh, you know you're trying to. Cope with life as it is, and you don't want to have too much uh, of an impact on your body immediately, then the 16.8 is an easy way to start.
0: Okay, great. And you mentioned the emotional response to food and drink, I think, and using, you know, reaching for some ice cream as a way of comfort or having a few drinks as a way of numbing certain um, emotions or feelings. Um, do you think, first of all, fasting can help with that emotional response to food or need to um, use food and drink to um, to help with emotions? Um, and then, how do you go about breaking those habitual responses that you have? Um, and instead of reaching for the ice cream, reaching for you know an apple or something like that, how how do you start to um, build in and reprogram your habitual responses?
2: So there are two aspects of it. One is the psychological and emotional aspect, which often is uh, linked either to a real problem in life. So you have a job that you don't like, you have a relationship which is abusive or not, not fulfilling, you got you know some sort of a deep trauma you haven't dealt with at all and is still nagging you. And that is the real elephant in the room. And ultimately that is what you need to really address. The second aspect is the behavioral nutritional ha- aspect, which is also important. And um, remember that uh, the nutritional aspect is a second uh, step if you want. So, I mean, for some people is the first one. So because some people uh, were not brought up in a food culture, unfortunately, and they were brought up with, uh, you know, mcdonald's and chicken nuggets or like unhealthy treats so if your mother takes you when you're five years old to the mcdonald's restaurant to celebrate your birthday so they're gonna be hardwired in your brain as McDonald's equals birthday equals happy times, okay? And then you go there and they do the happy meal and you got the clown and all your little kids' friends are there as well. So these are powerful experiences that you do as a child. If you're brought up, you know, eating a, a terrible cereals for breakfast, a sugary cereals, and uh, you really dearly love your your breakfast uh, cereals because uh, you know you were brought up your mom was giving them to you when you were a kid you know anything that you do zero to ten years old is going to be so much in your subconscious okay zero to six years old is when you know most of your personality is made okay and uh, and you know as a child uh, you certainly have very little free will, because you're like a sponge. I mean, you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose the place where you were born, you didn't choose your ethnicity, you didn't choose, you you chose very little, and you're going through these like first years of life like a sponge, uh, you know, absorbing everything that comes from the environment. If the environment is not A healthy environment to start with you start at a disadvantage for sure right and then i'm not saying you cannot turn yourself around because people do sometimes but it's a lot harder so some people are brought up in a food culture which is junk and mcdonald's and and takeaways okay and for them my job is very much an educational job where I can actually explain them and teach them and give them structure and help them move things. So maybe their life, they're kind of the comfortable people. So their life is actually okay. They have a job that more or less they like. They have kind of like okay relationship with people, but they just uh, addicted to junk food since, since childhood. That's a better situation in a way, because all you need is a is a bit of a convincing, some structure, some intellectual reasoning around the way they they do with food. And then you just put them on a structure to change the habit. And these people don't use food so much for numbing themselves, etc. Once they got the structure going, they tend to do well with it. The other kind of people instead that are compensating with junk food. Uh, because of uh, junk food is a very quick source of dopamine. When you're in pain, you're feeling bad because you had a big fight with your partner or because your boss gave you some hard time. Or maybe a client, a very dysfunctional client is uh, you know really making your life hell. And uh, you've been in pain, you're anxious, actually anxious and you are at home on your own, maybe in one of these like one bedroom flats that the big cities are full of, right? Or even if you have a family, but maybe you're not so connected, maybe your, your, your partner is tired, maybe the children, you know, they're, they're jumping all over the place, because, you know, that's what happens, that's what children do. And, you know, the, the only way to, to help yourself, the only way you know, the quickest way is to have ice cream or to overeat dinner or indeed, you know, in many parts of the world to have half a bottle of wine or maybe the whole bottle of wine. And that there is the challenge, you know, changing the habit is something that needs to come alongside with changing the problem. So if the relationship is the problem, uh, giving these people a tool to improve the relationship or look at the relationship uh, with uh, with new eyes, in a way, if it's a career-related problem, they really hate their job, and maybe they spend all the money they earn on consumer goods and credit cards, like many people do, because that's also a form of addiction. So they become a slave to society because they don't even have like basic savings to take six months off sometimes, yeah. Or maybe they they bought a huge house, they overstretch on the mortgage, you know, they got lots of responsibility. This is a lot of burden, a lot of stress that, uh, you know, it's a problem. So you need to do both in a way, you know, you uh, you need to coach them on the nutritional aspect, the healthy living aspect, the physical activity, the meditation aspect, the unwinding aspect. But also you need to identify the elephant in the room, the big problem they have, and give them some strength, some ideas on how to cope with it. Because ultimately, if they don't solve the big problem, you know, they're still going to be in pain and they're still going to find a way of numbing themselves out of it because it's this, you know, you you cannot just be in pain all the time. You need to escape. And if alcohol is the easiest way of escaping.
1: I have the word flow written down here. Um, It was something you mentioned being in a flow state earlier on. I would like to talk a little bit more about that because we can talk about being in a flow state, say doing a flow yoga class or maybe going into a flow state, rock climbing or being absorbed in a painting. And then I'm thinking the opposite of that is being on autopilot or being conditioned and just going through life and not being aware of it. I'm just wondering if you've got any tips for, well, let's first start about what the flow state is and how we might spend more of our life in the flow state as opposed to in these sort of segmented times doing a particular activity.
2: Indeed, indeed, yes, we can see the human brain almost as a machine in many ways. You know, when when I get up in the morning, I go brush my teeth, I do it in automatic. When I drive my motorbike, I do it on automatic. You know, a lot of the tasks that people do, particularly if they are in a very, kind of uh, you know structured and routine based lifestyle which means that they do the same thing over and over and over again so the brain does it in automatic as you said and uh, and uh, whilst the brain does that you have to see uh, the quality of the conversation that you might have with yourself okay so many people are brushing their teeth teeth and thinking how much they hate their boss you know or uh, how much they are Uh, useless at finding a partner, how much, you know, uh, they don't deserve love or, you know, there's lots of negative um, uh, thinking going on very often. Uh, The opposite is a state of flow. The state of flow is when you are are completely absorbed by an activity that produces joy and uh, where you almost, I'll say, you tap into a higher state of consciousness where creativity flows through you where uh, you know a state of presence and total absorption is coupled with this uh, uh, you know feeling of fullness uh, joy and being in the moment okay so if you think of an artist for instance playing you know a musician playing the violin in front of people that's uh, definitely a state of flow you know so the violin uh, is there to produce this mu- beautiful harmony and this, this this music and you're playing it with the skills that you know and you love in front of people producing so much joy and hope in, in the crowd, okay? So that's a, that's a state of flow. Another state of flow would be again the surfer that is re- watching, watching the ocean and spotting the wave coming, and just at the right time, it jumps on the, the board and catches the, the, you know, catches the, um, you know, the wave. Huh? And uh, you know, you need to be completely absorbed of what you're doing. But also, it's very, it's very beneficial, very useful, um, v- very awesome, and uh, and you just simply love it. Okay. Another another example is, um, you know, if you are. Uh, you know playing with your kid or something and uh, the child is doing something maybe new or more advanced or, or, or you're completely absorbed or it could be also in an embrace with your partner you know you're you're kissing your partner you're completely present you're feeling the warmth of the person you're feeling the energy of the person Uh, very close to you, so much so that your soul almost melts with her soul, you know? So these are moments that are very precious and they're very beautiful. And in order to experience more states of flow, we need, first of all, to be able to ground and be present in life, okay? So to try to move out of the automatic state as much as possible and then at the same time we need to develop passions, hobbies and interests that really turn us on, uh, where we can use and apply our creativity and our uh, you know, emotional positivity uh, to, to bring this thing uh, to life in a way. You know? It could be an artistic uh, you know, pursuit, it could be uh, again sport activity of, of any type, could be connection with other people, um, could be writing, you know. these are lovely things. And some people are so lucky they have a job that uh, maybe to the outside observer looks like a, a very stressful job. And I met some people like that. Yeah? Um, but for them, they are always, not always, but mostly in a state of flow. So uh, I used to work with investment banks and uh, within the same bank, you would have a managing director in an office that clearly struggled in life because you could see it, you know. Not just because of his physical uh, state, but also because, uh, you know, you know, you have some some people that are, you know, functioning alcoholics, literally working in investment banks, and maybe they're very angry and uh, they are very powerful in some ways. But the, you know, this power doesn't come from a, a position of heart or doesn't come from a position of a, a higher state, you know, if you want. And then in the same bank. I met managing directors that looked amazing. So in charge of 100 people, you know, running multi-million books, doing mergers and acquisitions, being so present and loving it so much, you know? Because these are creative jobs, these are jobs where, you know, if you're managing director in a bank, you have like high status relationships with, uh, you know, the elite of the world and uh, you feel very empowered and you are so good at what you're doing because, you know, you need to be extremely good in this kind of competitive environment. But for them, the competitive environment brings acute stress, but not chronic stress. Mm-hmm. They have a lifestyle around them. Maybe they did it um, consciously or maybe it just happened to them. They were just very talented and predisposed, you know, because in ideal scenario, you want to do things that you are talented and predisposed to do, and also enjoy them at the same time. And that's what really makes a full life, in my opinion, you know, to be really good at something that you enjoy doing uh, on a regular basis.
0: Um, it seems to me that in opposite uh, to the state of flow are uh, there uh, um, the states of anxiety or depression um, or these um, some other uh, mental the um, impaired issues that people struggle with? Um, and how would you recommend or what would you recommend to people who are perhaps battling with um, those issues? To then enter into the state of flow more often.
2: Yeah. So if you're really stressed and anxious in an acute form, the first thing you gotta do is to reduce. So come out of the acute phase. You know. Some I remember when I, if you're really stressed, you've been stressed for a long time, you're really anxious. You know, just take a holiday and uh, go to on a beach or ideally come to a wellness and detox center. Okay, that would be uh, my first. Um, advice. So if it's really bad, you got to calm it down, you got to calm it down quick. And uh, sometimes uh, just calling in sick for a week, just uh, talk to your doctor, you know, get a note and uh, be off work. Uh, I know it's challenging to do that. But once uh, you got that done, then, uh, you know, the second aspect is to learn different techniques and methodologies that help embody yourself more and help relax unwind reconnect and you know i always uh, advise some form of psychological support through coaching or if you can if you you know if you can see a psychologist doing some talking therapy is very nice uh, combined with some form of physical activity if you have the strength to it because if it's very acute you don't want to maybe move uh, you know, because that, that's very, very good uh, to bring back into the body to let go of some of the anxiety, some of the stress, and also coupled with uh, some form of energetic healing, which, uh, you know, people discount, but it's very, very effective too because it's very soothing, very calming. Something like craniosacral therapy, for instance, something like Reiki, I really like, or, you know, just. Uh, Having a bubble bath with Epsom salt sometimes can be very effective, you know, but you need to learn, seriously learn how to unwind and relax. And then you also need to talk therapy, particularly to identify what are the triggers and the reasons why you're so anxious or so depressed. Because, uh, you know, there is a, a physiological response we talked about, which is a hormones and neurotransmitters. And those ones can be rewired in a way. You know there is neuroplasticity, so you're if this has been going on for a long time, it's going to take longer to reshape your brain, so to speak. But um, you know that can be done. What uh, needs to be identified though is the cause, the root cause of your anxiety. And if this is trauma that you experienced as a child, you got to make sense of it. And uh, you know the, you need a lot of psychological support and talking therapy maybe, or you need uh, experiences that bring you back to a state of childhood and uh, make you connect with uh, some aspect of your subconscious that are hidden and secret. Okay, but they cause you pain. So if every time you are in a social environment and you start panicking, you know this is a this is a pretty bad uh, kind of like reaction and. Uh, there are going to be some sort of trigger or trauma behind it and then of course if you are in an abusive relationship and you're constantly in abusive relationships and there you develop a pattern of you know for instance having massive arguments with your manager and being laid off uh, you need to go understand why you have a problem with the authority figure uh, what was the relationship with your father potentially you know so there are lots of uh, things that make a human psyche and a human being that are very complex and in a holistic system you want to you know really intervene and and put the person through a journey of healing that involves uh, psychology physical uh, energetic and ultimately spiritual as well you know because uh, uh you know it's uh, one some of the the environments that people operate in both work environments and city environments can be very you know unnatural some people are so detached from nature you know like being in nature it's healing in itself we are animals you know at the end of the day we need to connect with the green and the blue of the sky and the ocean you know it's very useful for us to do it And, you know, the spiritual aspect is also very important, because, um, you know, and also the philosophical aspect, you know, why do you live? What's uh, the meaning in life, you know? How can you create meaning in life, for instance? You know, is meaning manufactured? Is it given to you through religion and culture? Is there anything that you can do in order to create more meaning that bring to more states of flow? So, depending on the individual, The first would be a long conversation, make them talk, make them share, make them cry if they feel like. And and then on the base of what they tell you is, uh, you know, coming up with a structure, a series of therapies. And, you know, some people have uh, the means and uh, the time and the will to do a lot, some others less. And you just work with what you have pretty much, you know, the person in front of you.
1: I was going to say before we move on to the quick fire questions, is there anything else you'd like to say right now that um, if you want to expand on anything or if there's anything you feel we haven't covered?
2: Well, I just like, you know, to tell you that it's great. You're doing this podcast. I think uh, I can see that you're enjoying it and uh, it's a lovely thing, you know, so I really wish you best luck and well done for having the courage to organize it and to get yourself out there, you know, and uh, starting in, introducing yourself to people, and I'm sure it's going to be very successful. So well, well done for that. You know, I think it's a lovely thing and um, it's going to be inspirational for you as well, as, as well as the people that listen to it. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you. That's, lovely <laughs> <to hear. laughs> yes,
0: that's really lovely to hear. I appreciate that. So we'll move on to the quick fire questions. And the first one is, in one word, what does the phrase finding your purpose mean to you?
2: Passion passions yeah so finding your purpose in my opinion the best way is a passion so develop passion hobbies and interests that really turn you on that are aligned with the way you are
1: what is the one book that you would love to share with as many people as possible
2: i read lots of books and that's why i'm in thailand i think since i'm a teenager and i love so many i wrote a blog post about books but right now Right now, a book that I read about nine months ago, and it's a classic, is Brave New World from Aldous Huxley. And uh, yeah, it's a a science fiction book about a future society uh, where uh, everything works very effectively and efficiently in a very scientific and mechanical way. Uh, but people have no free will, even less free will than now. There's no spirituality, there is no love, there is no art, and there is no creativity.
0: I actually, I worked in an art gallery where Aldous Huxley was buried. And then from that, I read a few of his books, but I've yet to read Brave New World, so it's on my list. Uh (laughs) Um, And the next question is, how would you like to
1: be remembered
2: a creative person, somebody that, uh, and somebody with, with a free spirit, a free spirited creative person.
1: If you had to give someone one piece of advice or a quote about finding your purpose, what would this be?
2: Read as much as you can, talk to people and diverse people. So if you are from a certain background and a certain uh, social group, try something new, get out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, travel. Uh, go into the unknown with a thirst and uh, an attitude for seeking and always try to look at the truth or find the truth be- beyond what is uh, obvious stated or cliche because this way you're gonna develop a intuition for what is real and what is really important and what matters to you and uh, and and you'll do something which is a lot more aligned with yourself and that'll help with the purpose as well
1: thank you thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you so much luca absolutely i'm going to start intermittent fasting now (laughs)
2: lovely well girls thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure okay so see you soon
1: thanks for listening to the squiggly lives podcasts with your hosts helena and claire Head over to our website squigglylives.com to subscribe and hear more shows. That's all for this episode. See you next time.